reading, reading. This is my first afternoon reading, and it is Jocelyn. This is the first time we've had a Jocelyn chapter, and it's the last of the Jocelyn chapters. Um. This is uh, yes. This is my first time. I I saw you a little bit ago. I was just a bit sad the whole time. I feel really bad. I just yeah. You know, I just I'm okay. I'm okay. I mean, I will be okay when you're listening to this because it'll be in like a few months' time when I've I've got used to it all. But right now it's all just a bit kind of um. I'm just not, I'm not I'm not doing too well with it. But I I'll I'll I'll. I'll I'll get used to it. It's quite soon. I it's just I I already feel like I'm getting used to it, but it's like I it's just like I can't hug you hug you in school anymore. Uh, I I don't see you outside of school because I don't really wa- I don't walk to school with you. So it's like oh, I don't I don't get to hug you anymore. And then oh, I might I might suggest oh no, but I can't because Sydney starts later and I would just yeah. We'll go sit there. Oh, there's got to be a way around it, but I, I can't really think of it. I'm sure I will have thought of it. Maybe I'll just walk home with you some days and... Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll walk home with you on Fridays, but... Yeah. It's going to be okay. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll figure it through. Yeah. Anyway, five years to go. Jocelyn. They've had death threats and bomb scares at the North Star camp before, but never a real attack. Not till tonight. Jocelyn's on night watch. There are five of them, scanning the perimeter with binoculars. If you do your extras and you sleep over, and you agree that you'll work for them for two years after you leave college, they'll pay your tuition. Pretty sweet deal, and Margot could have paid for Jocelyn's college, but it looks good that she's doing it the same way the other girls do. Maddie's scheme has come in sure and strong with none of Jocelyn's problems. She's only 15 and she's already talking about joining elite elite cadets. Two military daughters. That's how you run for president. Jocelyn's half dozing at her watch station when the alarm sounds in the booth. Alarms have sounded before, but it's been a fox or a coyote or sometimes a couple of drunk teenagers trying to climb over the fence on a dare. Jocelyn was once scared of her, out of her wits by a shrieking in the trash at the back of the mess hall, only for two enormous raccoons to dive out of the metal bins, biting and running at each other. The others had laughed for her, for, the others had laughed at her for her fright at that, and they laugh at her quite often here. At first, there was Ryan, and that was exciting and fun and intense because his scheme was their secret, it made everything special. But then somehow it got out. Photos on a long lens reporters at the door again and the other girls at camp read about it and then there was a little, there were a little whispered giggly conversations that fell silent and when she walked into the room she's read articles by women who wished they couldn't do it and men who wish they could and everything seems just so confusing and all she really wants is to be normal she broke up with ryan and he cried and she found her face was dry like a stopper holding it in her mum took her to the doctor privately and they gave her something to feel more normal. And she does, in a way. And three of the other girls on watch take up their nightsticks, long batons with a sharp, whippy, whippy metal strand at the end, and go out into the night, 
expecting to find some local wildlife biting at the fence. Except when they get there, there are three men, each carrying a baseball bat, their faces greased up with black. They're at the generator. One of them has a huge pair of bolt cutters, and it's a terrorist incursion. Things happen quickly. Dakota, the oldest of them, whispers to Hayden, one of the youngest to run for the North Star Guards. The others stay in a tight formation, bodies close together. There have been men at other camps with knives, guns, even grenades and homemade bombs. Dakota shouts, put down your weapons, and the men's eyes are narrow and unreadable. They've come here to do something bad. Dakota swings her flashlight. All right, fellas, she says. You've had your fun, but we caught you, so put them down. One of them throws something. A gas grenade, smoke billowing out. The other uses his bolt cutters on an exposed tube in the generator. There's a bang. All the lights go out in the centre camp. There's nothing now but the black sky, the stars, and these men who have come here to kill them. Jocelyn points her flashlight around wildly. One of the men is fighting with Dakota and Samara, swinging his baseball back, shouting a tattered cry. The bat connects with Samara's head, and there's blood. Fuck, there's blood. They've been trained. The girls are all trained. This isn't supposed to happen. Even with their power, can this still happen? Tika's on him like a wolf, the power in her hands taking out one of his knees, but he kicks her square in the face, and what's that glinting under his jacket? What's he got? What the fuck has he got? Justin runs for him. She'll hold him down and get whatever is away from him, but as she goes, a hand grabs her ankle and she topples forward, face into the sandy earth. She scrambles on all floors, all fours, crawling towards the flashlight, but before she can get there, it's picked up and pointed at her. She waits for the blow, but it's Dakota holding the light, Dakota with a bruise across her cheek and Tegan next to her, and one of the men kneeling on the ground at Tegan's feet. She thinks it was one once she was fighting her, for his balaclava's off, younger than she had thought, maybe only a year or two older than her. His lip is cut and there's a fern-like scar unfurling across his jaw. Got him, says Dakota. Fuck you, says the man. We stand for freedom. Tegan lifts up his head by his hair and jolts him again, just under the air, a painful place. Who sent you here, says Dakota, but he doesn't answer. Joss, show him we mean business, and Jocelyn doesn't know where the other two women have gone. Shouldn't, shouldn't we wait for backup? Dakota says, God damn, pst, you can't do it, can you? The boy's cowering on the floor. She doesn't need, she doesn't need to do it. No one needs to do it now. Tegan says, has he got a scheme? She wants to fuck him. The others laugh. Yeah, they met her. That's what she's like. Weird men, deformed men, disgusting, strange, repulsive men. That's what she likes. If she fucking cries in front of them, they'll never forget it. Anyway, she's not what they think. She didn't even like it so much with Ryan. She didn't. She's thought about it since they broke up and thinks the other girls are right. It's better with a man who can't do it. It's more normal anyway. She's been with a couple of other guys since. Guys who liked it when they gave her when she gave them a jolt and even asked for it in quiet voices close to her ear saying please it's better like that and she wishes they'd just forget about ryan and that forget that ryan ever existed she's forgotten him it was just a teenage thing and the drugs have normalized her power more than ever she's normal now completely normal what would a normal girl do fuck off cleary i'll do it says jocelyn and, and jocelyn says no you fuck off Dakota says, fuck off, Cleary, I'll do it. And Jocelyn says, no, you fuck off. And the boy on the floor whispers, please, like they do. Jocelyn pushes Dakota out the way and leads down and gives him a jolt in his head, just to teach him what he's got coming if he messes with them. She's emotional, though. Her trainer has told her to watch out for that. There are surges going through her bodies, hormones and electrolytes mess with everything. 
she can feel as it leaves her body that it's too much. She tries to hold it back, but it's too late. His scalp crisps under her hand and he screams. Inside his skull, liquid is cooking. Delicate parts are fusing and congealing. The lines of power are scarring him. Faster than she thought. She can't hold it back. It's not a good way to go. She didn't mean to do it. There's a smell of burns, hair and flesh. Tegan says, fuck. And there's an arc of light on them. Suddenly, it's two of the North Star people, a man and a woman. Just as met them before. Esther and Johnny. At last... They must have rigged up a light from the backup generator and Joss's mind is working very quickly, even though her body is slow. Her hand is still on the boy's head and there's a faint wisp of smoke at her fingertips. Johnny says, Jesus. Esther says, were there more? The girl said there were more. Dakota's still staring at the boy. Jocelyn peels her fingers off him one by one and she doesn't think about it at all. She has the same sense that if she starts to think about it, she'll tumble down into the deep, dark water. There's a black ocean waiting for her now. It will always be waiting. She takes her fingers off, not thinking about it, and she pulls her sticky palm up, not thinking about it. And the body tumbles forward, face first into the dirt. Esther says, Johnny, go get a fucking medic now. Johnny is staring at the body too. He makes a little laugh and says, medic? Esther says, now, go and get the fucking medic, Johnny. He swallows, his eyes flick to Jocelyn, Tegan and Esther. When he catches Esther's eye, he nods swiftly, backs up a few paces, turns and runs out of the circle of the arc light and into the dark. Dakota looks around the circle. Esther looks around the circle and Dakota starts to say, What happened was... But Esther shakes her head and says, Let's see. She kneels down by the body and flips it over with one hand. Rummages in the coat and they can't quite see what's happening. She finds some gun, a handful of flyers for a men's protest, and then there's a familiar heavy clink. Esther reaches behind him, and there, in her palm, is a gun. Thick and snub-nosed, military issue. He pulled a gun on you, says Esther. Justin frowns. She understands, but she can't herself stop herself from saying words. No, he didn't. He was... She stops as her mouth catches up to her brain. Esther speaks in a very calm and easy tone. There's a smile in her voice, like... She's talking Joss through an equipment maintenance drill. First, turn off the power. Then, apply the lubricating fluid. And then, adjust the belt using the tightening screw. Simple. One thing, then the next. One, two, three. This is how it has to go. She says, you saw that he had a gun in the side of his coat, and he was reaching for it. He had already committed an act of violence against us. You perceived a clear and present danger. He reached for a gun, and you used proportionate force to stop him. Esther uncurls the boy's fingers and wraps them around the holster of the gun. It's simpler to understand this way. He was holding the gun, she says. He was about to fire it. She looks around the circle of of young women, meeting each of their eyes in turn. Tegan says, yeah, that's what happened. I saw him reach for his gun. Jocelyn looks at the gun, clasped in the cool fingers. Some of the North Star people carry their own unregistered sidearms. Her mum had to get the New York Times to pull a piece about it on the grounds that it would threaten homeland security. Maybe he had that gun in his back pocket. Maybe he was going to turn it on them. But if they had guns, why were they using bats? Esper, Esther claps her hands on Joss's shoulder. You're a hero, soldier, she says. Yes, says Jocelyn. It gets easier to tell the story the more she does it. She starts to see it very clearly in her mind, so that by the time she's talking about it on national TV, she thinks she half remembers it anyway. Hadn't they seen something metal in one of their pockets? Couldn't couldn't it have been a gun? 
Maybe that's why she let off the blast. Yeah, she, she probably did know. She smiles on the television news. No, she says, I don't feel like a hero. Anyone would have done the same. Oh, come on, says Kristen. I couldn't have done it, could you, Matt? Matt laughs and says, I couldn't even watch. He's a very, att- he's very attractive, a good ten years younger than Christian. The network had found him, just trying something out. Well, we're at it, Christian. Why don't you wear your glasses on screen now? It'll give you gravitas. We're going to see how the numbers play out this way, OK? We're sending it for a run around the park, yeah? Well, your mum should be very proud, Jocelyn. And she is proud. She knows part of the story, but not the whole thing. It's given her leverage with the Defence Department in rolling out the North Star training schemes for girls across all 50 states. It's a well-run programme with good links to colleges, and they're able to charge the army a bounty for every girl they send their way, who can bypass basic and go straight into active duty. The army is fond of Margot Cleary. And with all that's going on in the news, says Matt, this this war in the Middle East, what is that about? First, the South Moldovans are winning, now it's the North Moldovans, and the Saudis are involved somehow? Oh, he shrugs helplessly. It's great to know we have young women like you ready to defend the country. Oh, yes, says Jocelyn, just like she practised. I would never have been able to do it without all the training I received at the North Star camp. Kristen squeezes her knee. Will you stick around, Jocelyn? We're going to be tasting some great cinnamon recipes for four after the break. Of course. Matt smiles into the camera. I know I feel safer with you around. And now, the weather on the ones. And here there is a statue of the priestess queen, found in a treasure trove in Lahore. The statue itself is substantially older than the base, which is made from repurposed cataclysm-era technology. Though much eroded, analysis of the base reveals it was originally marked with the bitten fruit motif. Objects marked with this motif are found across the Cataclysm era world, and their use is much debated. The uniformity of the motif suggests that it is a religious symbol, but it may also have been a glyph indicating that the object should be used for serving food. The different sizes may also have been used for different meals. The bitten fruit artefact is, as is common, constructed partially of metal and partially of glass. Unusually for objects of this type, the glass is unbroken, giving it high value in the post-cataclysm years. It's speculated that the bitten fruit architect was given as a tribute to the cult of the priestess queen and used to increase the majesty of her statue. The two objects were welded together around two and a half thousand years ago. Statue of a Serving Boy Found in the same hoard as the Priestess Queen, from the carefully careful grooming and sensuous features, it has speculated that this statue depicts a sex worker. The statue is decorated with cataclysm-era glass, whose composition is similar to that of the base of Priestess Queen. It almost certainly came from a, bitten f- a broken bitten fruit artefact. The glass was probably added to this statue at the same time that the base was added to the Priestess Queen. <laughs>